What resonated with me was your one line about we wanted it to be different. And that's such an interesting contrast in startups where you kind of want them to be different because you want to do something that hasn't been done before. But on the other hand, you're going, is there a reason why no one's done this before? Hey, everyone, I'm Mark Randolph, and welcome to That Will Never Work. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. Netflix, which I co-founded, was actually my fifth startup. And since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and talk to thousands of aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own businesses, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to take things to the next level. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then try to nudge them a little further down the path toward realizing their dreams. If you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. Hold on tight. It is off to the adventure park today. Paul is trying to import the sort of outdoor activities you might find nestled into the Rockies, you know, zip lines, rock climbing, rappelling, and bring it all indoors in his native Texas with beer. (laughs) What could go wrong? But with a solid business plan, good investors, and construction ready to begin soon, he's raring to go. The uncertainty of COVID and the demands of a young family, though, are weighing on him. Let's listen in to find out how he plans to move forward. Well, hi, Paul. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for calling in. I am really curious to uh, learn more about what you're up to, because just the idea of an adventure park makes me think injury, and I'm drawn to anything that involves adventure and possible injury. So why don't you kick us off? Why don't you take a moment and fill us in on what it is you're working on? Yeah, thanks, Mark. You know, first and foremost, adventure is something that excites me as well. So I had the opportunity, I was actually visiting an adventure park in Utah when the idea hit me. It was a really unique adventure park. They converted the old Olympic Park there in Park City to an adventure park. It had some really unique attractions. And I I thought, this is really interesting, unique. I live in Texas where we don't have any mountains. And so I thought to myself, how do we create an experience with all these different types of adventures, whether it's zip lines, rock climbing, ropes course, things that you would normally experience outdoors in the mountains during summer. How do we create that experience indoors? in the indoor environment here in Texas where we don't have any mountains. And so that was kind of the premise of the idea. We've blended the adventure attractions with some traditional entertainment items like an arcade, amusement ride, things like that to really make it an all-encompassing experience for families. Uh, And it'll be indoors at 66,000 square feet. And it's going to be located here in Grand Prairie, Texas, which is right in the middle of Dallas-Fort Worth here locally. You're addressing it in the future tense, so it's not up and running yet. Is that correct? That's correct. We're in the pre-construction stage, so we've done all of our business planning. We're in the process of working with all the architects, engineers, et cetera, to prepare for the construction. We hope to break ground early next year. And who is we? So it's myself and my family are the the founders. And then I've got a range of investors from friends and families to other investors that have heard about the project and supported us. And then we're actually in partnership as well with the city of Grand Prairie on the development. 
this sounds unbelievably ambitious, <laughs> which kind of means expensive. In other words, just the idea of, in order to even to have the very first person zip down the zip line, you have a huge investment of time and money sure. and real estate. And what gave you the confidence to go for this? Yeah, good question, Mark. I guess a piece of it was it, being naive is helpful, I guess, <laughs> in the early stages, right? My background is all in business. So I have an accounting degree, a financial planning background, and I worked at Melody Investments actually for about 15 years. And the idea came to me really as I had an itch to do something entrepreneurial. I have three young kids. We go to entertainment venues all of the time. And I started to look at them more from a business perspective and realize there was a good opportunity there. And so that's where the idea started. And my wife likes to joke because it started as a smaller idea, much more budget-friendly, if you will. And then it just grew and grew. And so I guess the way I'd answer your question is it started with a smaller vision. And then as we really started to put time and effort behind it, it just got bigger and bigger, literally, uh, and obviously more expensive. But what we wanted to do is create something unique. We didn't want to create another entertainment venue similar to many others in the area, right? It's a very competitive marketplace. There's a lot of venues that have the traditional bowling, arcade, et cetera. We wanted to create an experience that, you know, when someone comes in, it's something they've never experienced before. You know, our facility is going to have 75 foot tall ceilings. So we're going to have rock structures that are as tall as you know, 50, 60 feet off the ground where you're climbing, you're connected to it. Um, safety is first. I and mean, we joked about injury up front, but you know, we've designed this place with all of the experienced professionals that have built these across the world with safety in mind. But we want it to be a very unique and different experience for families to come to Grand Prairie and really see something uh, unique and different. What resonated with me was your one line about, we wanted it to be different. Thank you. And that's such an interesting contrast in startups where you kind of want them to be different because you want to yes. do something that hasn't been done before. But on the other hand, you're going, is there a reason why no one's done this before? Is there an accepted business model which time has demonstrated is the way it has to work? Am I just going to find something out that I don't want to find out sure, sure. in the future? So with that in mind, what domain expertise do you have? Or what did you do to inform yourself on what's come before you? How did you avoid falling into holes that other people yeah. have already fallen into? Great question, Mark. So that's one of the things that I think we did relatively well early on was I know where my expertise lies and I know where my expertise doesn't. So as I mentioned my background is all in business financials. So I understand the numbers side of things very well. And I know how to put a business plan together, but I didn't have that domain of expertise in the entertainment industry specifically. So one of the things I did, even while I was at my last job, I started thinking of doing more of the moonlighting with it, you know, at nights and weekends, starting to piece together how the business plan may come together. But what I did to get that expertise is I actually hired a third-party consultant that specializes in the entertainment industry. And they came in and really helped us answer those questions you brought up, which is, hey, why hasn't this been done before? What are some of the barriers? What would work well and what wouldn't? And so a few of my first ideas, they shot down and said, hey, that's probably not the direction we want to go. 
it's going to work better if we do this. And so the consultant that we brought in is called Amusement Entertainment Management, and they provided invaluable expertise on the marketplace, what consumers look for, what does work, what doesn't, and really helped us build the portfolio of attractions in a way that we can be confident that it'll not only be unique and different, but it'll really resonate with our consumer base. God, that must have been fascinating to have begun learning what's been tried. Yes. I mean, even probably simple things like what percentage of revenue characteristically come from food and beverage. You got it. What's the pros and cons of serving alcohol? Which entertainment are marquee, but don't have a lot of throughput? Which ones are bread and butter, but you can get a lot of people through them? I mean, all these kinds of classic questions that most people would never uh, even think to worry about. That is the role our consultant played was those exact questions answered and they gave us all the insight. They've built hundreds of facilities across the world. And so they were able to bring that expertise and insight to the ideas that I had and really helped us refine the finished idea. So I know you have some specific issues that you're bumping into as you're launching this new uh, venture. But before we even get to those, I'm curious because your background well, I'll, I'll go out and say it. It's kind of anathema to doing startups. Sure. That's right. Which is, uh, <laughs> oh boy, get in trouble for saying this. But for example, we had someone who was a CEO of one of the companies I was involved with and who came from a finance background. And we would say, you know, this person's going to be incredible because he's going to know exactly why we're going out of business, but not necessarily the person who's going to guide us into the opening to help steer the company to the right spot. So I'm wondering if you're finding that risk-taking element, that looking forward rather than looking backward element, um, challenging or exciting or different. I've grown into it is probably the best way I'll answer that. So you're spot on. My background isn't in startup, entrepreneurial. I like to say I grew into that. You know, right out of college, I was go find a job, get that W-2, probably more so than anyone. But as my career developed, I found myself in positions at my last company that were higher up within the organization. They were more entrepreneurial in nature. I was tasked with more responsibilities that were visionary that required forward thinking and working on new product lines and things like that, that really excited me. And I found that I had good capabilities there and just continued to get more and more excited by that. And that's where that entrepreneurial bug then started to creep in. The more I nurtured that and worked with it, you know, the more confident I became and the ability to, you know, attempt a a startup business in this nature. and, And then it grew from there, but it's something I grew into. Do you find yourself having to prod yourself every so often? Like, Paul, stop being conservative. It's okay. Take this chance. We're going to gamble on it. Early on, yourself? yeah. Oh, absolutely. Leaving my company, because I, I had a very good job at a very good company, and I was very happy, but it just wasn't quite as fulfilling as I wanted to be, and I had this vision of what I thought we could create. But taking that risk of stepping outside of the world I've known for 20 years at that point and beginning this company was it probably the biggest moment of, hey, you only live once, you've got a clear vision. I vetted it at that point with our consultant. We felt good about it. And it really just came down to the decision that my wife and I had to make, which was, you know, do we want to go for this or not? And, and we did, obviously. And when did you leave your day job? May of 2019. So I've been working on this full-time for almost 18 months. Uh, you must have been really excited when all of a sudden COVID shut down yeah. all indoor activity. <laughs> 
That's exactly right. That was about nine or 10 months into it. And we were also at the point where we had just secured an agreement with the city of Grand Prairie to build it on some property that they own in partnership with the entertainment district they have there. And then right after that is when COVID obviously put a big shutdown on things where we had to step back and say, okay, what does this mean for us? How do we want to move forward? And that was obviously a big moment in our story for sure. And did you change your plan? Or is this basically going, no, we're just going to gamble on the fact that when we're ready to open the doors, that people will be ready to come in? It slowed the plan down. It didn't necessarily change it. I mean, we've made prudent decisions you know, as needed to design the facility in a way that everyone will feel safe and comfortable, regardless of what stage we're at. But a couple of things we had going for us. You know, I called every one of our investors at that time and said, look, how do we want to proceed? We know what's happening out there. And we had three things going for us at that time, Mark. One, we weren't open for business. So we didn't have to shut down, limit operations, and battle through that. Two, we didn't have any outstanding debt or obligations to make. Even myself, I'm not drawing a salary. So there's no ongoing expenses of the business that were hurting at that time. And then third, we had a strong balance sheet. I'd already completed two investment rounds at that point. So we were in as good of a position as you could be. So when I called each one of our investors to get their input, I said, look, we can pause. We can take a step back and kind of see how this plays out, or we can keep moving forward with our design and our development and put ourselves in a better position as we come through this to be stronger on the other side. An analogy I like to give, obviously, you're a movie guy. If you ever saw the movie (laughs) Days of Thunder, remember the scene at the end where there's a car crash in front and they say, you just got to drive through it. That's kind of where we were in that decision is there was clearly a car crash in front of us. COVID was having a significant impact to the entertainment industry, but it wasn't directly affecting us in that moment. We weren't a part of that crash per se. But we knew on the other side of this, whenever that would be, which obviously at that time we didn't really have clear insight on when that would be. But we decided as a company, let's keep moving forward, keep moving forward with the design, and we'll be in a better position five, six months from now to know where things stand and where we stand. And in the end, it ended up being a very good decision because our timeline is still a little over a year out before we get to opening. And we believe that aligns nicely with kind of how things are starting to develop out with the pandemic and things like that. So that's kind of the story with how that came to be and how we thought through and tried to obviously work with what we knew at the time. Yeah, that must have been a terrifying thing, at least for those first few months where there was so little, uh, not that there's still a lot of certainty, but whether there was almost no idea of how severe will this get, how long will it last, what will the world look like when it comes out, et cetera. hundred percent. But luckily, Texas ignores all these restrictions anyway, so I think you should be in great shape. I'm sorry, a little bit of political humor there. So <laughs> what is it that I, you'd like to speak about today? Is there anything in particular that you want to bat around with me? Yeah, I'd love to get your input on, uh, you know, when I read the book, a great book, by the way, you were in a very similar spot with your family as I am now. I have three young kids. They're 10, 12, and 8, 12, 10, and 8. And I know when you started Netflix, I, I think you had three under the age of seven. And yeah. you tell stories about your wife and yourself, you know, talking through the decisions financially and just balancing of all of that. And I just wanted to get your input on how you worked through it. Obviously, now you're well beyond that, but you know, just take yourself back in time to those moments and those decisions. You know, any advice, thoughts? That's basically kind of where we're at with my family. No, that's a great subject because it really doesn't get talked about enough 
in my opinion. You know, I think the whole entrepreneurship thing has been so overly glorified now where everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Right. They think it's all pitching and raising money and going over the plans. And they don't recognize even the simple things like COVID disruptions and no doubt. having the things take six months longer and being more expensive and all these things. Yeah. And they especially don't think about the fact, the impact that you're talking about, which is all of these things are not happening in a vacuum to you. You probably had this really interesting conversation with your wife 18 months ago about, That's right. I'm leaving my job. We're going to live off our savings while we do this crazy thing about building a 66,000 square foot indoor adventure park in the middle of Texas. And I'm sure that your wife gave you the that'll never work talk. <laughs> That's right. But probably also, it's just from uh, our brief interaction, she probably also gave you the, Paul, if you really believe in this, Amen. Um, yep. let's go for it. She did. <laughs> well, She's very supportive, which is a blessing. That's right. Well, God bless her. It's such a really, really tricky thing because, you know, as you are probably experiencing, and I promise you it's going to get worse, not that that's any consolation to you, is it's seven by 24. I mean, all the time you're not actively working on it, you're thinking about it. Yes, sir. You're worrying about it. Whereas perhaps in your previous job, you knew you had a call from 11 to 12, but then you had from one to four to work on you don't have that luxury. All of a sudden, you're getting calls from people who need to talk to you now. There's a crisis du jour. Anyway, I'm telling you things you already know. This is largely for the benefit of all seven listeners of ours <laughs> understanding uh, what this job is actually like and the impact it can have on your family. So I'll tell you the analogy that I came up with a long time ago, which ended up being the most useful one for me. Because I vowed early on, perhaps same way you did, that I was not going to let my life as an entrepreneur ruin the rest of my life. I did not want to be divorced. I wanted to still have quality time with my best friend, my wife. I wanted my kids to know me and to knock wood, like me. Yes. We joked about the adventure at the beginning, but I'm extremely unfortunate in that the things that I like to do in my spare time do not fit neatly between a one o'clock and a three o'clock phone call. They require getting on two or three bush planes in a row and going way up to Northern Alaska and kayaking some godforsaken river or doing a multi-day backcountry ski trip or whatever, sea kayaking. Love it. Absolutely. But I realized if I was going to, A, keep my family first in my life, and if I'm going to have these things that, that are important to me, I've got to figure out a way to make this work. So here's the analogy that I used that really helped me. So earlier in my career, I was running international business for a big software company and I had offices in Paris. And I was commuting almost daily to one or other of our European offices. So one day I'd be in Frankfurt, the next day I'd be in Milan, then I'd be in London or I'd be in Paris where I'd be jumping around, then I'd go up to Scandinavia. But I was probably flying four days a week. I was doing all these trips as day trips. And after a few months of the usual, oh my God, I'm late, and hustling through the concourse as fast as I could, I would realize this is pointless. Because either I'd show up at the gate and the, they'd be cleaning up with the door locked and I'd see the plane taxiing away. So even hurrying didn't make the difference. Or I'd get there and they go, oh, the plane's delayed 20 minutes. And I'd realize I could have walked quite comfortably and gotten a cup of coffee and still made it. In other words, that hustling almost never made the difference. I was either going to get it or not get it. And the hustle didn't make the difference. And I kind of realized that that 
was the exact same model that I could apply to my business life. That all of these things in the business that equated to being late for the plane, that didn't necessarily all need to be hustled for. That they had this magical way of resolving themselves if I didn't happen to be the one who dealt with it. And that single thing is what gave me the confidence. And I, you know, I do tell that story in the books. So you've heard that before about being able to say, I'm going to take the time I need and I'll fit the business stuff around it. Now, I did have to work like a dog, at least for those first bunch of years. Of course. But not at the expense of the other things that were really important to me. Like I tell that story in the book about leaving work at five o'clock every day, every Tuesday, Tuesday. Yep. to do the date night. That was awful. For the first, not, not awful for me or for my wife, but it was really hard because there was always some crisis which was unfolding. It's always something I go, oh, I've got to deal with this. I've got to return that call. I've got to answer this email. I've got to resolve this. It just took this incredible fortitude to say, I'm just going to plow through it and I'm just going to leave. But the really cool thing about what happened was it got immeasurably easier because for some inexplicable reason, the crises stopped happening after five o'clock on Tuesdays. <laughs> and the meetings that I needed to be in stopped being scheduled. And That's that was, it was like, wow, all of a sudden life got easier. And then the, the better thing, and this maps even applies more to what you're working on since you're eventually going to have a lot of people and you're still early enough to be establishing what is the culture of my company? What is important? And as you know, that'll get modeled off of your behavior. And that the additional byproduct, besides it being easier for me of being able to leave once I had established that this was an unbreakable rule, is that everyone else began doing it. Not just leaving on Tuesdays to have time for themselves or with their family, which I thought was great, but they began recognizing that it wasn't just lip service when I was saying, no, it's important to take care of yourself. It's important to take care of your relationship. It's important to take care of your family and all those things. So it was this modeling exercise, which I just found really, really um, powerful in addition to that. Absolutely. And the other last little piece of advice, um, and again, you know, I'm telling you stuff that I know that you know, but sometimes it helps to say someone actually has done this stuff That's right. and it actually works. It's not just lip service. Is that... People get it. It just pays these very surprising dividends. And I mean, this is, this is more once your company's larger and you do have a lot of people. And, you know, shit happens. People get sick. Their family gets sick. They need to leave because a parent is dying. Having built this culture where it's permissible makes people incredibly loyal. And not just the person who's been treated that way. But it's the classic thing when someone gets fired badly, it's not that you treated that person badly, but everyone else in the company goes, oh my God, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And this is the same thing. When you see, treat someone graciously, everyone else in the company goes, wow, this is the type of place that I want to work. It's fantastic. Now the subtlety, and then I'll stop my monologue for a second. It's good. The subtlety is that I believe our ability to have a company which worked like that came inexplicably tied to the freedom and responsibility culture. That this was not, hey, I don't care when you work, you know, whatever, be happy. Because that's like how it was. We did summer theater back when I was in high school and a lot of alcohol was involved. Yeah. But um, this is more like, I trust that you will 
get done the things our company needs from you. But with that, I don't care when or how. So if you want to take off Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at five o'clock, all power to you, you should do that. But the expectation is you're going to figure out a way to make sure that in the end, the things that need to happen, happen. Listen, now we're talking about, I have a sample size of exactly one, which is me and how I've set that up. But it feels like those two things are critical to go together, that people can, you have a doctor's appointment, for God's sake, go to the doctor. I don't need, you don't need to tell me. That's right. But I don't want to show up if you're the receptionist and have no one there. Cover for yourself. That's right. That, it's that sort of thing. I have a million stories about this, but it's awesome. Does your wife work for the business? No, she does not. So right now she's working at the home, obviously, with, with kids and yeah. she's a homemaker in that sense. <laughs> but she's actually going back to work in January at Fidelity, where I worked. She worked there before we started having kids. So now our kids are a little bit older where she's going to go back to work. We'll have that dual working family model going. But no, right now she's staying home with kids, keeping them going day to day. And then she'll be actually going back to work in January. Yeah, you, you've got it cushy. I mean, your kids, wait, eight? Oh, God, yeah. please. <laughs> That's right. I remember the young years. <laughs> <laughs> no, because there was that added thing, of course. You know, you get home late and uh, yes. the wife, here. Oh, I and, remember you know, those days. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We're <laughs> past like, that. Yeah. Right. And now for me, it's positively cushy. My, I'm lucky if my kids are around. That's been one of the best silver linings of COVID is I've gotten to have my adult kids living with me again. So there will be a moment when you're looking forward to that. Rather there you than, go. That's right. Uh, I believe forward it. Looking forward to the, uh, the converse. That's right. So do you have a lot of employees? No, right now it's just myself as the employee of the business. And then we have a lot of consultants and you know professionals that are working on the project but they're all you know hired consultants so whether it's architects engineers civil engineers structural engineers you name it we've got them on the team but they're all more hired under a contract if you will than an employee so right now I'm the only employee of the business it's more just the development team cuz you are going to have a particularly interesting challenge in terms of finding work-life balance because your business is going to be open 100 hours a week or something like that or some huge number. Oh, yeah. And the peak times are opposite of when kids are in school. So there's yes. that balance as well. 100% right. Have you thought about how you're going to manage that? Yeah. I mean, my wife and I talk about that as well. I mean, early on, we know, especially in any startup business, you know, those early years are the biggest grind, if you will. And so we're, we're more than prepared that, hey, when the facility gets open, certainly the first year, two years, I'll be there more than I'm at home. And that's the reality and the expectation. Now, the good news is, it's a facility that the kids are going to want to come to and, and enjoy. So, you know, bring a son to work day is not going to have a bad deal to it. So the kids will be able to be there and run around. But at the same point, you know, they're not going to be there all the time. So communication is probably the best way I would say that we've handled that. My wife and I have more than talked about it. We're prepared for it. I've always had a, a long work schedule. Even when I had a W-2 type job, I was still working a, a lot of different hours and traveling a lot. So uh, we're accustomed to that, and it's more just about the communication, the preparation for it. But again, as we get closer to opening, we'll start to bring a general management team into the mix. Again, I don't have that level of entertainment experience, so I'm not necessarily going to be the general manager. We'll hire that role in, but I'll be there as the CEO, as the founder, as much as humanly possible, helping with those items. 
Yeah, it sounds like you are taking the right approach to that. And I know we've joked a couple of times about the risk element of it, but that adds even a third. I mean, you have the general new business sure. always thinking about it. Then you have the fact that you're open some ridiculous number of hours. And like you said, counter to the times when you'd rather be sitting at home drinking a coffee or having a beer. But adding the risk element in adds a level of on-callness to it that makes it really, really tricky. I do a lot of work with an organization called Knowles, which is a leadership school that uses the wilderness as a classroom. So they run week, two-week, month-long, semester-long programs out in the wilderness. And I know it's a huge burden on our executives because there's always the chance that they'll get the call at any time of the day or night that someone's been injured sure. severely or even fatally in some cases. So it just adds a level of stress to know that that could always happen. And then in fact, that when it does happen, it's a tough one. But anyway, not to be yeah. negative about it it's so early. No, risk is a reality. And that's where you know we've designed the attractions with safety in mind. We've hired the teams that have built these yeah. in the Rockies, a thousand feet off the ground. So it's all about the procedures, the policies, the safety, you know, we have the team in place to ensure that that is top of mind. No question about it. And my comment was not so much about you managing those things, since I'm sure you will. It's just that recognition of the additional emotional strain. No doubt. Where the things you have to worry about is not just where our inventory was off on our 16 ounce right. cups. Sure. There's things like that. But it sounds pretty exciting. But wow, you still have a long way to go before you get the excitement That's right. of the first customers. Yeah, there's those different phases. There's the, they'll call it the dreamer phase. Hey, I've got this really neat idea. How do I pursue it? You know, there's the business planning phase of how will this actually work? Working with the consultant I mentioned. Now we're in the pre-construction phase, which is all the design, the development, the plans, upon us hopefully in the next couple of months we'll be breaking ground and you got the construction phase and then you reach that grand opening so you're right there's still some steps ahead and uh, i can't wait to get there well paul i've got to hand it to you you are a dreamer and a dreamer who actually took the steps to make it happen and yeah, so thanks, uh, i'm sure you had your share of people who told you that'll never work as well so it'll be exciting to uh, watch you hopefully prove everybody wrong yeah, thank you. We're looking forward to it. You know, the plans are in motion, so now it's just a matter of keeping that action going. And I'm sure your wife is delighted to see you doing something which is making you so uh, intellectually engaged every day and uh, really excited to come to work, I would imagine. Yeah, it's definitely different in that sense. You know, now I, I look forward to Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really do because it, there's always something new to be doing, progress to be made. And when we hit Friday afternoon, I, I joke because now people will still say happy Friday. And now I'm like, oh man, I got to take a break from it. So I'm I'm in that exciting mode now where more I can be working on it, the better. So it's been fun and it's going great. Yeah. You know, my wife always said there's only one job I ever had where I did not look forward to going to work in the morning. And that's one that I got fired from about <laughs> a year in. So it, it, everything worked funny out Funny how that fine. works, right? Yeah. That's funny right. how that works. So it's a wonderful, wonderful thing, which is why I spend so much of my time trying to convince people to take the step that you're taking. Well, good luck with the business. Good luck keeping the family together. Make sure you take care of yourself. And what I do need you to do, though, is get back with me in a four to six months or a year. I'd love to. Or 18 months, whatever you can, and let me know uh, what you're learning and how it's going. Yeah, I would be honored. That'd be great to stay in contact, and I'll keep you apprised of our development. Great. If I can ever help with anything, be sure to let me know, Paul. 
I appreciate it, Mark. All right. Thanks much. Thank you. I really empathize with Paul's situation. I had three young children when I was in the thick of it at Netflix. But now, being able to have my adult kids closer to home is one of the few silver linings of the pandemic. As Paul and his wife gird themselves for the all-consuming opening of his adventure park, he's going to need to set up some very clear guidelines to make sure he doesn't go off the deep end. Something tells me he'll manage it well. So that's all for today, but before I go, I want to thank Paul for sharing his business idea with me, and I look forward to hearing back from him in a few months to see if my advice helped. If you want to discuss your business challenges with me, I'd love to hear from you. Just visit me at markrandolph.com. That's Mark with a C, Randolph with a PH, or call me at 1-888-MARK-POD. That's 1-888-627-2763. Together, we'll figure out your best next steps. In the meantime, if a 30-minute podcast is too much for you, Check out my short form ramblings on Twitter at MB Randolph or see it all prettied up on Instagram at That Will Never Work. Of course, you can check me out at LinkedIn at, oh, well, shit, you can figure that out yourself. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.